0: Hello everybody, I'm really excited today to have a friend with me, somebody I've known for quite a few years now, Uh, this gentleman has actually uh, uh, been a huge huge inspiration to me, he's taught for uh, my company called, uh, my course called Parkinson's Regeneration, he's an NASM trainer, his uh, uh, experience as a trainer is uh, quite vast, he's also person who lives with Parkinson's disease. And we're here today to talk with my buddy, Russ Parker. And Russ, it's really, really good to have
1: you with me. Thanks for for joining me and it's good to see you too. Hey Carl, great to see you too. I have to come visit that clinic of yours. It looks dynamite. Got so much great equipment. I'd be like a kid in a candy store. (laughs) It's kind of how it is every
0: day, you know, we come in and I'd thought about naming it the fun factory, but It didn't sound right in one way, but in another way, that's what it is. Cool. Yeah, you know, um, I haven't been podcasting much this year. This is my second one this year, and i uh, had taken a break because we've been so busy here, gratefully so. Um, But, you know, I've been in this Parkinson's thing now. This is my 11th year of uh, really going down that roadway of uh, researching and learning and just being an all-out geek and a nerd to learn as much as possible to bring it to my clients and to the people who come to our courses or just the world in general when we post, you know, trying to educate always. And you're one of those people who is just so, you know, the way you're dealing with this, you're, you're a personal trainer for many years, National Academy of Sports Medicine. Uh, I know you have other credentials uh, beyond that as a trainer, but you're also a person living with Parkinson's and the reason I want to have you on primarily I should say is because you have ways of dealing with this you know Parkinson's that you're living with that are highly unique and everybody seems to find a way here and there to you know they find their own ways of dealing with things and then you know other people are really challenged uh, and don't find as many ways but I think Sometimes when we pick up an idea, a person picks up an idea, it can make a huge amount of difference in the quality or or their movement, their life, everything. And so again, thanks for joining me. I want to pick your brain. I want to find out how are you doing, first of all. Uh, Let's start
1: with that. How are you doing lately? Because we haven't seen each other in quite a while. Lately, I'm doing well. I actually went through kind of a rough patch the last couple of years just just a combination of um, just things got really busy, you know, not all bad things, but then there were, it seemed like it was just like a bad, rough time for uh, people, uh, you know, passing away and getting sick. I have a close friend of mine now who's um, has a neurological type uh, disease as well. He's got aphasia, like, like Bruce Willis has. Um, just like a bunch of things happened in the last couple of years. And just, I just kind of felt overwhelmed, overloaded. And there were a few things that I could discuss that, you know, like helped me through that. Um, but you know, I'm doing, doing well now. I think part, part of the thing, part of my problem is I always want to get interested in so many things. Like you said, like you dig and research. And I like to do that too. I hear about something and I want to jump on it and I want to do everything. And then I get overloaded. So actually time management, was one of the things that, um, now I'm working on learning on more because I I find it just a necessity. Um, because Parkinson's takes a lot of time away from you too. You know, when you have off time and managing having to be on sometimes a strict schedule with managing your meals and medication and it's a, it's a, you know I call it the pain in the ass disease because <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah. uh, it's just like there's so many things that kind of just even if you're doing well it you know sucks time away from you and uh, sure it's, sure it's pain. <laughs> it, I, I, I want to ask you a question here. So,
0: some of the people who I work with, uh, you know, they move around just fine and it doesn't seem to be taking a lot of time or causing them great, um, let's say, difficulty in any way. But that's just a few of the people. And then we have between there and two other effects that we have, you know, varying degrees from not really affected to highly affected, including, you know, situations where. Let's say they're going to go shopping. They need to go to a store. They need to go to a doctor's office. And I just learned, you know, a few years ago, I learned that, geez, sometimes they have to mentally, like they're planning ahead this whole thing about where they're going to park, how long it'll take to walk in, things like that. Have you ever had to, um, um, have you ever thought about the planning involved for any particular events, travel, anything at all?
1: Um, do you one have thing to I do, do to kind of try to plan in advance is, is um, I don't move perfectly. You know, when I travel, if I'm going on a plane or, or whatever, uh, it's mainly you know with tight tight spots. And if unexpectedly the medication goes off, if I'm on a lo- if I'm sitting for a long time, my medication goes off. The that time period from when I get up and trying to get everything moving again there's uh, a little bit of you know I. I get up and I have a little bit of like a shuffle walk. And, um, but you know, I, once I get going, I'm okay. So I have to plan ahead for things like that. Like when I travel, um, I don't really get, I don't really have like a lot of, uh, you know, incidents. I, I, I move pretty well, but um, like I said, tight spaces are tough for people with Parkinson's. So one thing I do is even though I don't need a cane um, when I go to like a crowded restaurant or something like that, or going to be somewhere where I'm going to be navigating, you know, in between people and stuff, a lot of times I just bring a cane. I bring the cane with me. Like I said, I don't normally need it, but it's almost like a, a little warning signal to other people. They see somebody coming through with a cane, and you get a little extra space. You know, it's kind of like I'm um, parting the seas. You know, here comes the guy with the cane, so they give you a little space. So it's just like a yeah. little trick to give me a little sure. bit breathing room um and then the other thing i try to do is on certain things i try to make people more aware of what you know potential issues so i i try to almost every time i fly i try to tell the flight attendants you know that i have parkinson's i said shouldn't be any problem but sometimes i have trouble with tight spaces and um you know when i get off the plane i just just need a little bit of little room to get to get my motor going and then i you know then i'm off and run you know i don't need a wheelchair or anything so if I warn them about little things like that, you know, they might, you know, give me a little bit, you know, I might help, you know, they might let me get up and get to the front of the line. Cause um, one time I didn't do anything like that. And it was a real tight spot. And um, I was getting my uh, bag down from the, the, the uh, from above, from the compartment above my carry-on bag. And I saw a little opening, you know, to get out. And I just wanted to get out of people's way. Then I shuffled my way out and I got off and going but it came across as rude. And I even heard some remarks, you know, it's like people, somebody said, Oh, you know, we, we all want to get off too. They didn't know I had Parkinson's or anything. So it looked like I kind of like plowed my way through, but I just wanted to get the hell out of everybody's way. Yeah. So, um, you know, so like if in that instant maybe if I told the flight attendant or whatever, I would have, you know, maybe been able to, you know, have the way cleared for me. And then, you know, people would have realized what was what was going on or something like that. But sure. So, so- so- While we're on this this subject,
0: I have quite a few people who have that that same same type type of situation situation where they get into a uh, tight uh, tight space, 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 a kind of a closing space, and they they experience uh, freezing freezing a lot of times. times. Um, One of the things things I do is I'll take them down down to the the end of the hall hall here here, to the the bottom of the stairway, and then, because there's a door there, and so between the doorway the door opening, the door, opening and, shutting. and shutting, it's one of those, one fire, those fire doors, those, and then you get around it to this, this little area where there's a step, step right there. there as soon it as soon you turn, turn left, left. It's like, Whoa, that can, can really, mess really mess with you yeah. visually, visually and, and it causes freezing. Season. So, the purpose of taking people down there, down, down there to work with, with, them, with them on various things like getting moving after frozen. I'm curious to know, um, like, what do you do in a
1: situation like that? Um, it's something I actually still play with. So like when I'm in this situation, I'm still like, things may work a different way each time, each incident, but I try to look at it from like two perspectives. One, one is physical and just like the whole biomechanics of, of doing that. And then the other, you know, the other is mental. So I try to think of, I try, I try to focus on kind of like if I'm going from one room to another, you know, that I'm. I'm leaving the room so I'm pushing my way out of the room it's, instead of focusing on like stepping into the room or over the threshold try to think I try to think of you know try to think of it differently than you know you would normally normally think of it you know like if your, your fear is entering the room maybe you think yourself of of catapulting yourself out of the room or whatever into the next room but I try different mental tricks but physically I, I you know I I find that um you know, people say shift shift your weight, but if you're like really off, you know, your feet are just like glued to the ground. And that whole concept of shifting your weight becomes difficult. So I kind of, what I do is I kind of force the issue. I, um, mechanically, I force the issue. And it doesn't look, you know, who cares about form? It doesn't look good. But I actually take my, you know, if I'm gonna tilt this way, I'll, I'll take this hand, my left hand, and I'll pretend I'm touching my knee. And this mm-hmm. forces myself to really, I'm not doing anything mentally. I'm just physically going like this, and it just forces this leg up, and that leg gets off the ground. Oh. So I'm not unfreezing psychologically. I'm just doing it biomechanically, and then I could go. Interesting. So I just use—I use, use it's a physical trick I use. If I could just get, you know, and then I try to think of that concept of just like now I got one. Then I try to do it without, you know, touching. So now I got one off the ground, and then. Yep. I try to get the. So you're and, doing more of a. Like, I try a to take. I sense. try to make it feel like I'm kind of like wobbling back and forth to kind of get that rhythm of shifting weight. But it's 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 tough when you when you. I know it's tough when you freeze.
0: Well, sounds like you're using a sensory thing then, instead of a visual thing, or mental, uh, in that particular incident. Do you ever look like look like around you and see, uh, you know, like you you and I have talked together quite a few times around the country and Canada and this and that we do the target practice right we throw a dot on the floor and then yeah, yeah I was and, and, on. and then what I do with people I'll say okay and like down on the stairway here at the bottom of the stairs and the doorway it's all tight just they're frozen boom throw a dot down almost every time they just immediately step on the dot so it gets them moving um, most of the time do you ever look around for anything as a target and use the visual target?
1: Oh yeah, that's the one little hack I do. Uh, that that um, I actually, you know, I, I actually think this this one might be, you know, like sometimes you do something and a lot of other people do it, but I actually I think this might be one I invented. But um, yeah, I look around if I could see, if I can see a target like a line or something like that. Yeah, I'll, I'll go for that because targets work great. Sometimes you don't have a target, so. I kind of created this little thing like a moving target and I'm actually off now, my medication's off. So it's a good time to demonstrate. I'm kind of like a little, I get a little clenching in my, uh, my boots. But anyway, so what I do is, okay, I don't have a target. I use my feet as the target. So, and then what we, what you could do also, is you could kind of make a little blinder with your, uh, your hands. Oh. Wow. So when you step out, the target, is, the target is basically, and I try to look, I can't look completely straight ahead. I have to look down a little bit. Looking down isn't great, but to hit a target, you're gonna to have to look down some. My target is basically when my foot comes into my field of vision. Yeah. Then I take the next step. So I have to get I have to get out past this blinder here. You know? Yeah, so and you so- could use you can use a book or a cell phone.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You go like this. So now my field now now I have to reach that foot out to oh, see it, I have to reach this foot out, you know, until I see it past this blind. So it makes me take a bigger step.
0: Russ, I really like that a lot. I love so, that. So, um, so, if anyone is like listening and not watching, if you're on an audio platform listening to this, he just held his hands and then a book as he's standing, um, so that it sort of blocks his vision of his feet. So the the, the idea here is that. Once he takes a step and the foot moves into the field of view beyond uh, the block he created visually. That's that seems to get you going, it looks like. So you Yeah, I'm sorry. Is this a gonna load. be on
1: podcast only or is uh... Oh no, it's visual too. It's, it's gonna, gonna be, be visual. Okay. Yeah, it's <laughs> I, be... I just went through a whole visual demonstration.
0: Well it goes on, you know, iTunes, uh, Spotify and a couple other audio platforms and all the rest are video, but uh, okay, well, after yeah, know, that was, up. that was a great demonstration right there. And if you didn't see it, folks go over to YouTube and watch it. Cause then
1: you'll be able to see what he did. Yeah. That's great. The other thing I wanted to mention about walking, and this is more or less when you're going, but, um, you know, getting going and getting bigger strides. Is, um, uh, you know, you're talking about, um, specializations I had, I got one recently, I got the barefoot, uh, training special specialization from, uh, evidence Base. Oh, from fitness Emily's training thing, academy yeah. with Dr. Emily Splickle. Yes. Uh, so, um, did you go to a live event? No, it was, um, it was, it was at home oh, Okay. and then you took a test. Just curious. I used to teach uh level
0: one and two of that for her for years. And I, I tell you, I learned so much from that.
1: Yeah. Just, I learned... just, what a great course. So anyway, you know, so like Dr. Emily, uh, one of our videos was explaining how, Walking is reactive, which is I think a great way of, or a new way of like thinking of it. Um, people talk about, oh, how come I, how come I can't walk, but I could ride a bike or I could skip, I could do this, I could do that. Walking is just about like the, you know, most complicated thing to learn, especially when it was something that you learned when you, you don't even remember how you learned it because you learned it when you were like, you know, whatever, one, one years old, <laughs> one and a half years old or something, you know. Yeah. So. Um, it's very complicated, you know. How many how many phases are there in the gate cycle? Seven, five, eight? Five.
0: What? Well, unless she's increased it, there there are five that we just five, okay. Yep. I don't
1: yep. know why I said eight. Five. And,
0: you know, I don't I'm just gonna interrupt for one moment, I'm sorry, but I want you to continue along that thought is I have been especially lately really dis- discovered after experimenting with one person a few months ago. To get people thinking about heel to toe, if you will, well, it's a lot more complex than that. It's the heel strike, slightly inverted, the loading phase, the mid-stance flat foot where the single leg is even with stance leg, and there's the late uh, phase four, late mid-stance, and then push off with the brunt going over the second toe which a lot of people disagree with, but that is the way it's supposed to be, period. you just got to get over your big toe, and then the one next to it takes the brunt of your weight, and you're pushing off slightly inverted again. But if we just back it up and really just take it way down and just toss the heel to toe, mm-hmm. man, I'll tell you, just mindful gait, mindful stepping, mindful walking quickly changes how people walk stride symmetry, stride length, velocity in in a matter of seconds Mm -hmm. most of the time. And that's one thing I've found to be of great value is teaching the five phases Mm -hmm. about all the science because it can get really, like you said, it's complicated. Yeah. It's complicated to learn what we're supposed to do naturally without thinking about it.
1: Yeah, and um, the thing I was saying about reactive is... um, you know, you're you in the different five, five phases of the gate, you, um, you know, your brain has to register when you do one thing, it's got to register the next thing and then do it. So if you try to mindfully do that, and especially if you're compromised, you know, like people with Parkinson's are sometimes, you can't walk yourself through the whole thing, because it, you, you just can't think that think and react that quick. So, you know, what you could do is you could break it down into pieces. So if you're working on stride, you know, just Concentrate maybe on doing, you know, reach, reaching out, pushing off with the back foot and land, landing heel to toe with the front foot, but then repeat again, you know, the same, you know, kind of like a shuffle kind of thing, like reach, do it different ways. So one other way I thought of is uh, doing like a three step so that the push off, and if you think of, instead of like thinking of reaching out with the heel to toe, think of instead of entering the area in front of you, exiting the area in back of you, if you think of the push off, if you do a three count, one, two, three, and then you do an extra push on that three. Every time you hit three, it's going to be, you know, this is an odd number. It's going to be, you're going to be alternating feet. So you'd be practicing your push off. One, two, three, and then one, two, now push off with the other foot. So that's uh, kind of, so that kind of slows down the, the requirement to, um, you know have that quick reaction i go one two three and i could practice that toe off that was another little trick i oh, i made it. up
0: so have you ever been in a situation at night i didn't plan on asking this but it just reminded me where you're walking along and you get let's say to a surface change or you don't see the surface change coming or there is no surface change just that under the surface is a soft spot let's say you're on a harder surface and You ever get in a situation where all of a sudden the step feels different just that one step oh amazing! you know and and this ties into does that mess with you at all
1: oh sure um and that ties into all the barefoot training and all the stuff that dr emily does yeah um i have kind of a and we're going to replace it in our bedroom our you know our carpet is kind of like a little bit on the thick side and I feel the, the difference when I, and then we have a, a landing on where the steps are. I feel the immediate difference when I step out of there into the yeah. landing, you know, which is all wood or into the bathroom, which is hard tile. I feel much better, you know, I feel much more in touch with the ground. Same thing when I put on the, uh, you know, those the neboso, te- neboso textured insoles, I, I get more foot to ground reaction And, um, and there's that there's that impact. So when you you know, when you're stepping on the cushy carpet, you're not getting you know, you're not getting the reaction with the ground, because the the carpet is just like absorbing your impact. So that kind of makes it harder to sense the ground. And when and when your nerves are compromised, because of uh, Parkinson's, you know, the not just your brain is compromised with Parkinson's, sometimes just the whole chain going from your brain and the nerves, you know, are, are become less sensitive. Um, yeah. You know, it's hard to react with the ground and, 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 and push off and have good form in, in your walk. And uh, yeah, that hard surface exactly. definitely feels easier and, and in your bare feet too, compared to cushy uh, Absolutely. insoles.
0: Absolutely, you know, um, while we're on it, I'll just say that one of the other things I'd like to teach is that we want to develop our sense of movement and balance to a point where you know, we have good reflexive stability. For, and I learned that from her, from Dr. Emily. Uh, in fact, the, the two things I love to tie together are anticipatory responses and reflexive stability. Because as she says, when you're three or four sta- steps into gait on a certain surface, uh, that every surface has a set of a vibratory uh, frequency to it. And when we hit, yeah. depending upon what we have on our feet, we have thick-soled shoes, we get one set of information. We have minimal shoes or barefoot, we get a lot more information so we can react better. Uh, but no matter what it is, when we're into certain, uh, uh, on a certain surface, three, four steps in, well, our nervous system automatically without us thinking we don't have to think about this it anticipates each next step to be the same frequency or vibratory impact force coming into us as the last step and the Mm -hmm. last step and so when we hit that one that's the hard spot the soft spot the change and if we don't see it coming we want to have good enough reflexes or reflexive stability so we stay upright I always tell the story about I was in Mexico a couple years ago, and it's two nights in a row. San Luis Potosi, my favorite restaurant down there. Same night, same place, two nights in a row. Uh, of course, I didn't have my second cornea replaced at that time, so I was legally blind. I had no, no, just light and dark, no peripheral. I'm looking at the beautiful murals on the buildings there, and I step off this really high curb two nights in a row. I didn't fall. But, man, I didn't see it coming, and it was a hard hit when my left foot hit, you know. Okay. Oh, yeah. I've done that. You think man, there's I'm another so step left. I, had, <laughs> I was so glad I had the reflexes, the reflex of stability to not go down because i could have of getting my head run over by a car or something, you know. So, yeah. anyways, yeah, it's really interesting how um, the surface underneath us and the surface between our floor and feet or ground and feet, like, the thicker the sole... Mm-hmm. the more information gets stolen and the less sensory input you get that can make a huge difference yeah so with that said do you walk around barefoot or with minimal shoes very often yeah
1: usually well I, I walk around barefoot a lot and that and this is a good time to uh you know when we talk about um techniques to give like you know cautions so uh it's good to walk around in your bare feet but if you if you don't do it regularly now work your way up because you're going to start using all sorts of muscles in your feet and that area. And, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to strain anything, you know, overdo it. So like work your way up to doing that. I walk, yeah, I walk around the house most of the time barefoot or minimalist shoes. um, And I do things like I go outside, I have uh, my driveway is asphalt, but it's not sealed. And it's got like the, you know, how like little pebbles come through and everything. So it's pretty rough texture. So I walk on that barefoot. It's kind of like walking on a you know, on a um, sensory, you know, mat, you know, with with bumps, sure. you know, but it's, it's outdoors. And I really feel that I really feel sometimes I feel sensations going all the way up from my feet, right to my pelvic core, I can feel it just by doing that, because I hit little sharp little tiny rocks and the yeah, I work my way up to it. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, um, at first, it's, you know, it feels like you're walking on like nails or whatever, and then you get and then you get used to it and it wakes up the um, bottom of your feet. So I like to do like an hour of or so of, of some kind of work, you know, where I get a little extra sensory uh, stimulation, either with the feet or some, some area because you know, that's seems to be compromised. Um, well, so yeah, it's good. It's good, good stuff. Uh, the definitely the bare the feet are uh, definitely an area that you could, you know, could use to be more uh, stimulated. And that goes back to when I was talking about how come I could ride a bike? How come some people say they can run, they can't walk? Well, running think of the I'm not good with numbers, but I know the impact force of running is a lot more than walking. It's like, you know, four times your body weight and walking, maybe two or something, you know, I I don't know the exact numbers. But it's a lot more. So I'm thinking if the if the impact force is greater then you're probably getting better sensory input, you know ground you know ground to core um communication you know when you're running and then bicycling yeah. is easier because you just you the pattern is built in for you you know you got the pedals there you just helps your feet you know that's an easy one to answer it's kind of yeah. like you have got assistance well, there it is
0: interesting i found that i even have uh, i don't walk as well as i run <laughs> and i'm like i understand yeah. and i teach this stuff and i I I am really working on my walking. I want to get. uh, Well, I got to go into something here. Okay. This show is, this podcast, this is about you. But if you don't mind, I really want to mention this because I'm sure you'll have some feedback. So this year, I went into all out geek mode as I always do every day. I'm always reading. First thing in the morning after I make, put coffee on, wait for it to brew, is I go, I sit and I read. And, uh, you know, my son is also the same way so we talk about this stuff a lot but you know the first of the two muscle fiber types we have type ones and type type ones type one and two type two is the first one to go as we age okay so when we get into let's say decreased muscle mass i'm 62 so you know i'm not 30 anymore but i'm not getting any younger so i feel great i move well i could move a whole lot better though Type two is—I'm sure—I have uh, diminished type two because what I'm finding is that my balance isn't what it used to be. Mm-hmm. So I really have to work on it more. I have to work on it more to um, build it back. You know, get it back to where it was. The type two muscle fibers are—they're the first to go. We have sarcopenia; they're the first to go, and then type ones can diminish too, of course. I don't have sarcopenia, but you know, if I didn't do anything, I would someday. And of course, all this muscle mass and um, uh, muscle—well, muscle mass is directly tied with bone density. So if we don't have uh, Mm it, and get more uh, higher risk of breaking, especially if we fall. But type twos are largely responsible for our balance. So I've been in type two training mode for months now, and. I do notice improvements in my balance. And I just had to mention that, yeah uh, I don't know if you're if you've studied that, you ever look at any of that kind of stuff because it's really fascinating, especially when we add the nervous system and brain and brain and barefoot into the mix, and then consider the type two factor and the type of reps we do isometric, mm-hmm. you know it's really, really fascinating.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, one thing I think of it too. one thing way I think of balance and um, fall prevention, is that those are two separate things. So having being able to balance, um, I think that's something you should assess periodically, whether you do it well or not. If you do it well, you should keep assessing, make sure you can do it, you know, like, can you balance on one foot for 1030 seconds, keep keep on top of that. But that doesn't necessarily, you know, if you could do that it doesn't necessarily mean you've you know you've optimized your fall prevention you know there's all the dynamic uh fall prevention stuff you know sports movements and uh um you know more dynamic type of balance uh exercises the you know, windmills and things things like that where you're actually like standing on one foot and then moving your other limbs to kind of throw you throw yourself off balance or actually using a wobble board or things like that um sure. But yeah, I think, you know, like balance is, um, you know, if we start getting into like talking about uh, tips for living better with, uh, you know, people with Parkinson's, I would say there's several things and not, and a lot of people don't think of it this way and they don't do this is try to stay ahead of the curve. You know, even if you're good at stuff, try to reassess on key life skills. So I think walking, you know, walking is uh, like number one, walking and balance are right up there. So if you walk well, I would still, you know, and and somebody who's walking well and they've just been diagnosed with Parkinson's, I would say that's a gift because if you could walk well and you can't do something else well, that's just like a skill that you'd like to have because it was tied to one of your hobbies or whatever. I would put equal priority though. on telling that person to walk or or run or doing, you know, um, something, you know, where you, you keep reinforcing that, that gait pattern, because, uh, uh, that's a gift. If you're, if you're, if you're diagnosed with Parkinson, you can still walk ha- fairly well, just keep walking and reinforcing that. Um,
0: yeah. All right. Re- 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 with that said, I'm just curious, have you ever experienced any diminished arm swing and do you ever find yourself working on that as you're walking?
1: Yes. Um, and that's something I should add to my list for, um, for my uh, monitors to uh, observe. I actually just implemented this recently. I've called upon my family to monitor me for things. Cause I'm I'm not thinking of it all the time. Like, oh, I I haven't added arm swing in there. So they're monitoring me on on posture because sometimes they get the forward head. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, this is my wife, son and daughter and on um, dyskinesia and a bunch of bunch of things so uh like i said i I haven't sometimes i notice the arm swing isn't there i I just work on moving it fast moving it you know faster um i do i do you know when i I do walking and running and sometimes i purposely do it when i'm a little off so i could kind of like uh force myself through it with uh, where i feel like i'm like i have parkinson's um that's one thing i would say about. Uh, you know, be careful with off time training, like if you really, and really, you really move poorly, it could be dangerous. But I'm not like that. I, I just don't walk quite as well when I'm off. So I feel I enjoy, or I should say, I think it's a good thing that I try to walk in with good form when I'm off a little bit, because I feel like I'm really fighting and working and learning against Parkinson's when that happens. When the, when the meds are fully kicked in, you get kind of get a full sense of security. You know, it's like you, you have, it's really the medication that's helping you move to a large degree. Otherwise you wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't need it. Um, so um, if, you know, if you could train a little bit, you know, you can pick and choose what you work on. Like I said, you shouldn't reinforce dysfunctional movement, but if you're off a little bit and you kind of train yourself uh, to do certain things while you're off, I think that's a good thing because it, it teaches your body to respond to um parkinson's yeah. itself parkinson's symptoms and and the and the and the things that come with it the uh movement dysfunction
0: absolutely so i am curious uh, do you go through anything in particular like when, when you, do you run are you a runner
1: yeah yeah I'm, right now i'm run walking i actually had some breathing problems, which I'm working through, it's getting a little better, but for a while, so I shut down my running, but I've been I walk, I walk or run. And then I okay. do. I do so hit got, for cardio sometimes. too. So. that's fantastic. Because I remember you, you were running when I met you,
0: I think it's six years ago, uh, approximately year or seven. But we, we we talked about that you you had been running. So when you're walking when you're running, are you thinking at all about your steps, your stride, or is it autopilot? I'm just wondering if your particular, um, let's see, Parkinson's for you, causes you the
1: need to think about your stride? I, um, the answer to that is I focus on certain things. So sometimes, you know, um, you know, so there's, you know, so there's eight, five, you know, phases to the gate. Sometimes you may only need to work on one or, or or you work or you or you find out, and this could go to, you know, with any exercise that's, uh, you know, a compound movement, you might find that one part of it is key, then everything else falls into place. So what I work on a lot is um, toe-off. Uh, yeah. So, and what it's I funny, do I was is- was just I, thinking of the exact same thing. I like to visualize it, yeah. certain things. I have two things I visualize with toe-off. One is that I'm like, uh, I'm playing like a video game on the street. So I have these little Pac-Man type things in front of me uh on the street and as i'm a, as i'm hitting the ground i'm hitting the little thing and i'm going wing, and I'm, I'm kind of like oh. jettisoning them so like i'm I'm pushing into the ground and i'm jettisoning them in back of me so That's it really cool. gets my toe off going and then the you know the forward uh, heel forward kind of falls into place so sometimes i have to concentrate on that but um so i concentrate on the toe off that way and the other way i concentrate on it is i make believe I'm on a endless treadmill that, a treadmill that doesn't have a motor that I have to move myself. So every time I step down, um, you know, the treadmill, you know how, you ever do that when you push the treadmill when the motor's off, it's like, so I have to to really get, feel that contact in the ground and move that treadmill.
0: I've been on those motorless treadmills. They had them up at the yeah. university when I was working there, and they're yeah, self-generated I've done them a couple power. Times. Yeah, yeah, pretty interesting. It's a completely different feel. Well, that's really interesting. It's funny when you mention uh, the the creatures in front of you and you're stepping on them. Um, I was thinking, first of all, that's really cool, but also the toe off. I was thinking, what would I be thinking about if I was running? I think toe off is probably the most important for me because it's the one that I. It means I will have finished the step or the stride. Of course you know I love this uh, what Emily talks about is walking is a pendulum type thing whereas running is a series of falling forward constantly because only one leg is on the ground when you're running and if at any point in time there's two on the ground for even a millisecond then you're not running you're walking. You might be walking fast but you're walking. So there's a portion of each stride where both feet are up and you're you're in the air, and if one of them doesn't come down, you're going down it's a falling forward mm-hmm. so with that um, toe off for me becomes the one that pushes me further and makes me go a little
1: faster yeah it's it's um yeah I think it's I think it's really important, and even psychologically, I feel like if you if you have that part, if you're doing that well, you feel like you're running, I feel like I'm running more powerfully. You know, you're talking about getting your feet off the ground. Uh, I have a picture from one, one of the races I ran after having Parkinson's when I had, had got in a groove and I was training well, and both feet were off the ground. And I was like, oh, I love that picture. <laughs> for, for, a pe- you know, for a person with Parkinson's, that is like, uh, I, I like that. <laughs>
0: I think you actually showed that to me one time, because. That, that's an
1: epic photo. I'm sure I've seen that.
0: Perfect time. My favorite right? running
1: photo is, is one with me and my daughter crossing the finish line together. That's my favorite one. Ah, movie. yeah, <laughs> that's cool. Priceless. Absolutely.
0: Um, so we've covered so much. Here. I was curious to know if you have time, um, what about medications? We have people who, I'm curious to know your thoughts on this if if you have any thoughts on this we have a group of neurologists on one side and we have a group on the other and i'm talking about some top notch really highly respected well published great neurologists who we got one camp over here and another camp over here same as people with parkinson's let's say or, or dopaminergic deficient dopamine deficient type of thing uh, Do you have any feelings about medications and when they should be started? For example, and when I say medication, I'm specifically referring to a dopamine replacement like Sinemet, Carbidopa, Levodopa. Um, So it's a two part question. Number one, should people, I I know you're not giving medical advice here neither am I, by the way, folks, but I'm asking, we have uh, doctors just say, no, 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 you should start right away because it's just better, you'll have better quality of life sooner. If you do this, it'll help you have more on periods sooner so you can do better and delay disease progression. Then we have the other ones who say, no, you need to wait because the sooner you start, well, the sooner it loses its effect down the road and the more you need. Any feelings on this? And part two is do you have distinctive on and
1: off periods? Um. My on and off periods have gotten a little bit more uh, complicated. I'll, I'll get I'll get to that. But uh, my my opinion um, on on the thing with the medication is some of those statements about what the medication does and it doesn't do. There's a pr- progressive disease. You're better off waiting and everything. I, I don't know the people who are saying that. I don't know where they're they're getting you know their the evidence of that. Just they're they Look, I know that they, they may experience it, what they may experience it themselves, where they feel like, um, you know, the the medication caused more problems than it would help. But the whole thing, it, it, first of all, depends on the person. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, in general, though, I would say, what are your goals? You know, is, is and with a lot of people, you know, when you have Parkinson's, you have symptoms, your goals, are, or what are your wishes? Your wishes are you didn't have those symptoms. Your wishes are, you know, you didn't, you weren't a burden on people, you know, that you wouldn't be a, a fall risk. And, you know, they all tie into, to symptoms and, and, and the problems they cause in your life. So if you're miserable, you're not moving well, and you're not taking medication, are you, are you really, are you, and, and you're, and you're trying your hardest, Are you really doing yourself any good continuing in that state? You could, um, if, if you can, and, and there's also in life, there's, you know, there's things called compromises. You don't have to necessarily take enough medicine to, um, to be totally symptom free without exercising or anything, just take it enough to get you moving. What if you have, um, what if you have severe rigidity? That's what I had. Now, um, yeah. my goal was to not take medication, to try to overcome it without medication. I think it depends on symptoms. I had a severe rigidity and I had um, a bradykinesia. Those are like two of the main two of the main ones, slowness of movements, bradykinesia, not, uh, not much tremor. Th- those are, you know, two of the main ones. But um, I still think maybe I could have done it, but I have a very, you know, active life. Um, mm. So if I put myself in a corner, maybe I could, could have done it. But um, I, I, you know, I was behind the curve a lot and to catch up and still try to carry on life normally, uh, I decided to take the medication. And it was a world of difference for me because it got me, it gave me that jump start, And then I was able to further improve um, my movement through exercise, and some people will say, well, so it wasn't medication, but yeah, it was, I wouldn't have gotten to that point if I didn't get the jump start with the medication. So um, one of my key uh, mentors is uh, Dr. Lori Mishley, you know, and I've, I'm a uh, patient of hers as well, but um, you know, I follow, I follow her and, and uh, she is, she's a naturopath and has, you know, is well known through the Parkinson's community, has great advice and um, you know, she, she says what I said before. Do you want you know? Do you want do you, do you want to be miserable? <laughs> so uh, you know, you take the medication, you move better. Sometimes it doesn't work for uh, you know the standard leave levodopa that, that people don't react well to it to start with, but it helps a helps a lot of people. It's still the gold standard. Um, we certainly wish <laughs> after so many years we could have a better gold standard. Uh, there's definitely things you know that are not great about it. I'm, I'm ha- I have some problem with dyskinesia now, but. So that, that's my opinion. I agree with, I agree with her. And, and by the way, call like, if I could, if I could pick people, you know, like as far as nutrition lifestyle and lifestyle and things like that, um, and general, you know, coaching with Parkinson's, I would say, Dr. Mishley is my number one, uh, mentor. And I would say you for exercise, you, you, you were my first, uh, main mentor and, uh, I've learned a lot from other people as well, but I, I would say you, you you were like a driving force in me taking things to the next level as far as my, my learning. I mean, you know, you know, it helps that I like to dig myself, but you, uh, you know, I learned from you at your workshop and then you introduced me to all, the, all these other great people, you know, there's uh, Brent and Dr. Emily and, and
0: um, uh, oh, you know. Well, thank um, you.
1: I just yeah, a whole bunch, you know, whole bunch of go down the we're nerd down, geek road, road. and want to learn all I can to try to help. Oh, Dr. Me. Perry, I, that's yeah, what I was, yeah, what a great guy, man. Yeah, I was trying to think of. Uh, I got stuck on that. Sorry, sorry, Perry.
0: <laughs> no, well, thank you for your kind words. I, I remember. Well, you're you're so inspiring and so forward thinking too. That's why I I you I, I do teaching with me because it's like who better, you know the person who really understands it, who lives with it, who's also a personal trainer who can help trainers to help people with Parkinson's, and just your attitude in general and your outlook. Um, man, it's going to be its almost four years this fall since we caught in Toronto. I, I haven't... The only live workshops I've done since then are in Mexico two years ago and last year, and another one coming up soon. Um, I also... Uh, uh, You were talking about breathing. I just want to show you something. If you haven't heard of this, I just got it. It it arrived yesterday. It's called Body by Breath. Mm -hmm. The science and practice of physical and emotional resilience. And it's by Jill Miller. Jill Miller is, uh, I interviewed her last week. We've been trying to get together for about a year. And then, of course, I took six months off from podcasting or interviewing, so just really busy, gratefully, but um I tell you, that, that book I started digging in last night, because I've also had breathing issues for a long time, and they got a lot worse last year, they're a lot better now. I can't wait to get into this book more because some of the stuff I saw last night really helped already with uh, how to think about breathing, how to maximize Mm -hmm. the opportunity of taking a breath. Um, Have you, uh, I want to ask specifics, have you had any breathing issues you feel are related to Parkinson's at all?
1: I don't know if this is related to Parkinson's. And as far as breathing technique, I'm using the, the, uh, you know, with the nose breathing, like the one that Brian Mirabella uh, does, you know, um, I find that that is, it's pretty helpful. Um, but I don't know that it's related. I actually had, (laughs) it's indirectly related to Parkinson's. So, uh, what happened was, um, you know, there's a strategy with uh, levodopa. If you create a more acidic environment in your stomach, it absorbs the levodopa better. So, one little trick is to take your levodopa with some um, lemon water. Mm-hmm. But I was drinking, so I started drinking this lemon water a lot, but then I started being lazy about measuring how much lemon I was putting. So, I just like taking, I have this bottle of lemon juice, <laughs> yeah. and I've it- just like little spritz in there or whatever, but you know. I don't know how much it was, but I, at some point I started feeling my I started feeling pain here. And so I suspected esophagitis and I'm, I'm going in for an endoscopy soon to check that out. But I think that's what I had. And then I read uh, esophagitis, even though that's tied to your digestive tract, you know, the, the trachea is right near there and everything, and you could get inflammation in that area and it could affect your breathing. So I think those two are tied. I went to the, you know, the cardiologist and he said, my, you know, my heart, my heart and everything is, is fine. So um, the breathing is starting to get better. And that's the stuff maybe I just made inhaler uh, or anything like that. Um, <clears throat> I was given an inhaler, uh, but I didn't want to start using it. And like, I wouldn't have noticed this problem if I didn't walk fast or run, I didn't get out of breath, just doing regular stuff you know, maybe if, was, if was, I was doing like heavy workout or stuff for, you know, chopping wood or, you know, chores that, that, that get my heart going. But, um, so I, I maybe wouldn't even, wouldn't even notice it. So, but the doctor, my medical doctor gave me an inhaler, but I didn't want to use it. I, I didn't want to use it until I got more testing done because then the inhale, if it, if it helped, the inhaler might be masking some other problems. So, I mean, I'm not suffering so I want to wait till I get through. I want to wait till I get through a bunch of tests. I might, in addition to seeing the GI doctor, who's doing the sulfur guider test, I might see a pulmonologist or whatever. Um, I've had X-rays in that area, and, mm-hmm. and everything seems okay. But um, I'm just going to get everything checked out. It's not, you know, okay. I'm not suffering real bad, mm-hmm. but, uh, and it's getting a little better. But um, I have to have to address a few issues. Okay by the way so go it's ahead. kind of indirect i haven't really i don't but i had before that i hadn't really had breathing
0: problems with okay. Parkinson's. well two things number one we know that uh statistically last i checked it was still the leading cause of second most leading cause of mortality in the parkinson's population are complications from breathing issues and a lot of times it's a fall that put him in the hospital, that led to mm-hmm. breathing issues. So, uh, you know, first is falls, but uh, second is breathing, because you know the the respiratory area has uh, well, they're dopaminergic pathways, and if you're short on dopamine in those, and those, and if you add rigidity to the mix. A lot of times it's hard to take that deep breath because the uh, sternocleidomastoid and the you know, muscles in the rib areas don't want to stand because they're rigid. So, uh, but anyways, the second thing I wanted to make sure we just I want to review real quick. Talking about exercise and medication, and you know how soon do you start? Um, you, know, I, I'm not a doctor, so I'm not giving any medical advice here. But what I have seen in my experience, is traveling all over the world, and talking to people, and working with hundreds of people here is that the people who start sooner usually do better. Uh, so if you're, if you're thinking of waiting on your medications, you might wanna reconsider that, go talk with your doctor or your neurologist and then see us uh, consider reconsidering that and maybe starting sooner because one thing we know is that when you exercise after medication, it helps the uptake of any medication you take gets into your blood, uh, bloodstream faster, into your system faster, so the uptake happens quicker, and then the effect will last longer. And this comes from published research for many, many years now. As a matter of fact, right here in this city, finally, they did it in Australia for years, and now in in, in our country here in the United States, we have hospitals uh, sending people right to the gym, down the hall. After chemo treatments because chemotherapy you know whether you're against it or for it or whatever uh, that's it's irrelevant in this respect if somebody gets chemo and they want it to be most effective you go down and you do cardio do it for half an hour hmm. just get a heart rate walk uh, heart rate up equivalent of walking as fast as possible half hour or more you're gonna yeah. take in that medication too so we knew that that was happening and results in australia were so much better when they do exercise immediately after chemo like minutes five minutes later you know two minutes later get in there and get the legs moving well now we're doing it here we also know it's well published that same thing with dopamine same thing with levodopa uh Plus, you make Mm -hmm. dopamine of your own, naturally, when you exercise and do things you like to do and all that kind of stuff. So I just wanted to mention that to people so uh, because that can really make the difference between it can give you the the ability to move better. And if you can move better, it would seem like maybe there's a possibility of slowing disease progression because you're moving better sooner instead of waiting and suffering. Mm and moving. Worse. Hey, if you um,
1: Yeah, you um, could always, you know, like, if, if you think you could do without it, then if you push hard enough, you you know, you might be able to re- reduce medication or um, absolutely, yeah, like, I, it, I mean, again, I, like would, I would I would love to not take medication, because um, there's always side effects. But I still have the option of at least reducing what I'm, you know, where I'm at yeah. now, I, I've been on basically the same dosage for the last couple of years, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not, it's not too bad. So that, and that gives me the capability, you know, to uh, do things like, um, you know, how I mentioned the disease is a pain in the ass with your schedule and everything like scheduling meals around your your uh, medication and things like that. So like if I do a run before lunchtime, and then I wanna, you know, because I exercised, I wanna replenish my nutrients and I wanna eat right after, but then I know there's a dose coming up, sometimes I'll run, I'll run anyway, because I know it's going to make me feel good. And I'll be able to eat and then still wait an hour after eating and I'll, and I'll still be okay because I got the, like you said, you get the high from the dopamine from the exercise. So it actually extends my medication. So I I come back from my run and I'm I'm, I'm leg weary. So that makes me a little unstable, but like after I walk around for a little while, then I'm better, you know, sometimes I'm better, better off then, you know, than I was before I started the run, you know. Once sure. the the r- rubber you know the rubber legs go away, but um, yeah. so yeah, exercise. I definitely get a get a high off of exercise. I, I get and I get a high of uh, over uh, on social interaction too. I wanted to talk a little bit about you know like those kind of lifestyle things that people should do. Um, you know, there's. Yeah, um, yeah. Dr. So, Mishley also says about that monitoring people who um, uh, have different progression levels of Parkinson's. The people who said answered to the question "Are you lonely?" Answer, uh, people who answered yes to the question "Are you lonely?" had had um, uh, higher degree uh, had faster progression of Parkinson's. I so socialization is another important thing to you know to add to. Uh, exercise and Absolutely. diet.
0: Yeah, that, that's a big one. Uh, so, Russ, I have just a couple minutes left before I need to take off and work with somebody who who just walks in, um, I think we're going to have to do a part two because I know you have a lot more to say and I have a lot more to ask. So, hope are you into that.
1: Oh yeah, sure. I've, uh, i um a new goal of mine is to to, to share more. And um, I've actually come, I'm, actually, I'm going through kind of like a revelation period because I, um, I don't know if I told you this, but another thing I'm, I'm into now is uh, improv. And there's an organization called Yes and Exercise. Um, yesandexercise.org is their their uh, website, but um, they do uh, they do Improv uh, games for people with Parkinson's, and the group is great. You 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 interact. You're making like a lot of connections. Um, you don't have to be a comedian or anything. It's not like you have to make jokes. They just play these you know these games where you you interact, you share, um, you yes and each other. You know yes ending is like you say something um, you know, about the person, and they'll come back and say yes and you know something about you or whatever. Or, or or make or pretend object you gave them is all these, all these word games and role playing. And it's it's a lot of fun. Uh, Robert Cochran is the uh, name of the the guy who runs it. And he's great. And I'm taking a a writing class from him. And I want to rewrite my story like I did for like in your book, but with more, more feeling, you know, like metaphor using metaphors and and actually more, um, there's gonna be more honesty coming out in my communication and stories because I realized that although everybody sees me as somebody with a positive attitude and all that, I really was in denial about some, some things. Like my original statement was that I was gonna fight this disease without medication. I was gonna do this, I was gonna do that. And I've, and, I, and now I'm admitting that the, uh, the disease is, is, is a lot you know, tougher than I uh, gave it, gave it credit uh-huh. for. Um, and I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm compared to some of my friends in the Parkinson's community, I'm still a baby. I'm just going on my eighth year uh-huh. um, since diagnosis. And there's people out there who've been doing this, you know, for 20 plus years and so forth. But um, yeah, I'm going through this phase now where I'm, I'm really trying to uh, be honest with myself and other people. and um, address certain things, you know, outside of just the standard, doing exercise and diet and stuff. Like I mentioned, um, being more, having more accountability. So I have, uh, you know, my family monitoring me. So yeah, that's another thing I'm, I'm having. That's good. I tell my that's wife good, to um... test to me about, you know, if I'm doing my, all my exercises and stuff. So, um, I love it. Um, By by the way, I mentioned that slow period I had of that kind of bad period like the last year or so. Mm -hmm. And one thing that got me through it was, um, that concept, you know, of exercise snacking, although I call it mobility snacking now. Mm -hmm. And I, I still was able to get in. I never really hit a period where I was never exercising, but I just wasn't doing as, you know, maybe as much volume, you know, not long workouts or anything. But I still and I still use that concept to this day, where I get in little exercise snacks. I do a six-minute plank routine, you know, before breakfast, and then I do, you know, a lot of times I, I do it around meals, you know. I do some stretching while I'm uh, waiting, uh, waiting at the gate at the airport or something, and uh, I'm, I'm doing eye exercises and I have swallowing exercises. I do. Oh, that's great. Man. Which I started thinking of when you were talking about breathing and problems. And, and, and I was talking about how you should walk, even if you could, even if you could walk well already, don't wait till there's problems. Same thing yeah. with swallowing. If you, if you could do swallowing exercises, or when you see, you see the slightest problem with swallowing, don't say to yourself, wait till it gets worse. Learn some swallowing exercises, because that's tied into that problem with people, Um uh, you know, dying from breathing problems. Cause if you start having swallowing problems, then um, food gets yeah. down your windpipe. And yeah. that's yeah. also to yeah. breathing yeah. and choking and all that. And... Um, I'm going to interject for one second. First
0: of all, a little shameful promotion here, but it's really for you too, is um, Russ has been a contributor to both of my books. The first one here and then the second one and your wife did too.
1: Yeah, she wrote as a, uh, as a really caregiver. Too. Absolutely. Um. um great. Yeah. Great here. books, especially since they uh, there's so, there's so much, there's so much material there. You you're not going to find any books on Parkinson's with that much material on like exercise and movement techniques. Um, and there's more than there's more than you. that. But um, a lot of it's around. Another I'm str- writing
0: now. I can't say I can't reveal anything, but it uh, will be done probably by the end of the year. It'll come out but it's more uh, comprehensive in its scope, but it still addresses all humans with all types of issues, um, neurological. I hate to go, but actually, if you can hang on with me after I stop the record, just hang on for a minute. So we can talk a little. Thanks for having me. But my last question is, first of all, thank you for uh, taking the time today. It took me a while to make it so we could get together on my end, but. My pleasure. I'm really glad this happened today. We did it. This is part one. Um, any final words, words of wisdom for the world before we
1: hang out? Uh, just keep your head up, turn over every stone. Don't, you know, when you, sometimes when you think there's nothing left to do, um, it's just a matter of talking to someone, doing some reading. Um, just keep, you know, just, just keep moving forward and, and learn, adapt, and and connect with people stay connected i love it i love it the social thing is so big for a lot of people
0: so well again my friend i really appreciate you joining me it's great to see you and as always you're inspiring me and so many others out there because you're well known uh amongst the trainer communities and and, and various communities as you know great role model, if you will, for everything. Thank you. So and thanks for everything thanks, you do for the Parkinson's community, But well, <laughs> well, thank you, my friend. And, and for those who are watching and those who are listening, thank you so much. So you can find this on YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, and other places I don't even know where it goes. Wherever the RSS takes it, it goes. And so thanks for awesome. watching. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back with another episode with Russ in the near future. Take care, folks.
1: Take care.